What does the cross mean to you? Luke chapter 23, I'll begin reading in verse number 32. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, they were crucified, him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over his head in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, the first criminal, saying, Do not you even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And indeed, we justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then Jesus said, Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What does the cross mean to you? The cross has to be one of the most memorable, most recognizable symbols in our culture worldwide. You see it on churches, you see it on jewelry. Athletes cross themselves during events. It's seen on shields and has been since ancient times. In our days, for the most part, the cross is a popular symbol. That wasn't always the case. In Jesus' day, it was a symbol of execution. But it was also a symbol of embarrassment. It was used only for thieves and slaves and rebels. It was, a, it was considered a very shameful way to die. Yet it was a very common form of execution in the Roman Empire in the first century. A pole would be sunk into the ground, and if you were sentenced to crucifixion, you would be fastened to that pole, usually with ropes, and hung on that pole until you died. And as I said, for a Jew specifically, it was the worst way. It meant to the Jewish people that you were being cursed, not just by Rome, but by God. It meant shame, and it brought terror. Initially, if you look through church history, the cross was not a symbol of the Christian church. It was forbidden by the early church because of how it pictured in their mind. It was forbidden on church buildings. It was forbidden in church art. Then things changed somewhere in the early part of the fourth century when Rome got a new emperor named Constantine. And he liked being a Christian. And he became a Christian. 
And now he saw the cross not as a symbol of shame, not as a symbol of embarrassment, not as a symbol of execution. He saw the cross as a symbol of triumph. And he began placing the cross everywhere. All of a sudden, every shield in the Roman Empire had a cross on it. I would have liked that redesign effort, my goodness. But it still didn't become a popular sign or a common sign until well after Constantine's death. But by the time it was being put on all these places, no one was alive who had ever witnessed crucifixion. So what does the cross mean to you? What does it mean to me? For Jesus, the cross began as a symbol of death, but became a symbol of life and forgiveness. And that's what he provides to anyone who is willing to come to the cross and bow a knee. Amen. Jesus was led out between two criminals. This fulfilled prophecy, Isaiah foretold, that he would be numbered among transgressors. He was being aligned with those that Rome considered were all malcontents and criminals. He was publicly being displayed as someone who was worthy of shame. Many were mocking him, including one of the criminals. Now in Luke's telling of this story, it only shows us that one of the two criminals, but in Matthew and Mark's uh, telling of the story, they both began to mock him. But even as they were both mocking him, one of them, had a change of heart. Aren't you glad God can still change hearts today? Even take those who had been mockers of the Christian way, had been mockers of Jesus Christ, and now they can bow a knee at the foot of the cross and serve Jesus with their entire lives. But one of them did mock. As the rulers mock, if you are real, prove it. If your words have any weight... If anything you've said is of any consequence, prove it. If you are the son of God, then why don't you do something? And we live in a culture today that says the same thing. We live in a culture today that wants God to prove something to them, as if they are the center of the universe, so anybody coming in their universe has to prove things to them. Let me make this clear. There isn't anybody who's listening to me today or anybody who would hear this message on replay who is the center of the universe. God is the center of the universe because he made it. They want, people, they want Jesus to prove something to them and prove it their way. If I'm going to worship you, Jesus, if I'm going to bow a knee before you, if I'm going to make you Lord of my life, let you do something for me. That's people demonstrating with their own arrogance and their own pride that what they want is not a savior. What they want is a genie. Somebody to be able to just rub a lamp and they can come out and give me what I want. And it's Bible is clear in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Well, I need proof that there is a God in heaven. We had a gorgeous day today. <laughs> that to me is proof there's a God in heaven. 
I had to go into Manhattan on Tuesday. I went through a subway station in Manhattan. There was trouble in a subway station in Brooklyn. For me, God is real. People today mock the idea of Jesus being the savior of the world, just like the one criminal hanging next to Jesus did. So with whom do we have more in common? The arrogant one or the repentant one? We've all been disobedient. And if we ever need a definition of what disobedience is, God says do this and we do that. Def- that's the definition. But I love Jesus. I love that Jesus said this and while he was here on earth. In John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, basically, do what you're told. So things didn't, don't go our way. And we mock the idea that he is Lord. And after all is done, after all he's done for us, after all he's guided our lives through, after all the provision he's provided, after all the protection he's given, after all the ways he has walked with us and made his presence real in each of our lives, so many people still have the gall to have a show-me attitude. We need to remember, like the songs we sang for worship, that Jesus died for my sins. Not the sins of other bad people. Not the sins of the the Jews or the Romans of the first century. It was my sins that caused him pain. It was my sins that nailed him to the cross. It was my sins he came to redeem. It was my sins that put him there. Because of my sins, that's why he's suffering taking the punishment that I deserved. One criminal didn't get this. But the other criminal had a change of heart. Instead of mocking, he begins rebuking the other criminal, the arrogant one. Don't you have any respect or fear at all? We deserve what we're getting. You know, it always amazed me when someone gets into trouble and they got into trouble not alone. They were part of a bunch of people who got into trouble. They were not part of a singular stupid act. They were part of a collective stupid act. (laughs) Yet, when they come to realize it was a collective stupid act, it was stupid for everybody else. Look what they led me to. Look what they, how they influenced me. When did you become a robot? It was my choice and my sins that he came to deal with. And so the other criminal is saying, don't you have any fear? We deserve to be here. He did nothing wrong. A change of heart takes place in the other criminal. And he begins to defend Jesus. He confesses his own sin. So what's happening to this criminal, this one who's had a change of heart? 
What did the cross mean to him? Well, I want to relate two things. The cross became for him an opportunity to repent. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 says, Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of the mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Acts 26, verse 20, But declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. You can thank the Lord right now because I was tempted to go through at least 20 more scriptures where the word repent is in there. Preach, go ahead. We'd be here for a while because repentance is a solidly biblical principle that sadly is completely absent from the church today. Completely absent. Regret is important. Remorse is important. But saying I'm sorry is not enough. It's not enough. Jesus doesn't perform miracles just to entertain us. They were designed to create a turning point in our lives. We can receive forgiveness of sin and a refreshing, but we need to repent. Which means not just that I'm sorry, especially when something dumb turns out dumb, who wouldn't be sorry? But now repentance is turning away from it. But I still want to, I kind of like some of that situation. Repent and turn away from it. Because if we don't, Our actions give our word no meaning and make them cheap. Being sorry is not enough. There must be repentance. The Holy Spirit is now working in this criminal's life. Our lives demonstrate the cross has meaning and that it means something when we repent. And let me just make this clear and be balanced. Well, I repented when I came to the Lord the first day I got saved and gave my heart to him. So now I don't have to repent anymore. When did you become perfect? Because you're not. So it's a good thing we practice this repentance because you're going to be practicing it for a long time. Through every transgression, through every poor choice. We need to be humble enough throughout the entirety of our Christian journey to be able to say, even though I've been following the Lord for many years in this situation, I need to repent. Not just be sorry, not just regret what I did, but turn from it and repent of my ways. Not just I'm sorry, but I'm done with that way of doing things or that way of thinking. Perhaps as he hung on the cross, the second criminal realized the depth of his sin. Perhaps he remembered all the things he had learned growing up about the Messiah as he was younger. The idea of him being a suffering Messiah. A Messiah who would be mocked. And the Spirit led him back to that mindset and and that memory. And the Spirit led him to repent. And he confesses this sin. He says, Jesus, remember me 
when you come into your kingdom. I repent of my life as a criminal. I repent of my mockery. I believe that you are the king and the Messiah that was prophesied and is to come. That is salvation. And some are still going to criticize. Well, sure, he's repenting. He's on a cross. He's hanging. He's about to die. Why wouldn't he repent? That is a real fatalistic way of looking at life. I am thankful that we can repent and come to Jesus at any moment that we're still breathing. The cross was then for him an opportunity to repent, which leads to my second point. The cross was an opportunity to be forgiven. He also says to Jesus, forgive me for my life, the one that I have led. And he says, remember me. These words need to be our words, especially as we commemorate this time of year. Then we say to Jesus, then Jesus said to him, and we hear these words, and I want you to hear them tonight. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And the word I want to focus on in that sentence is today. Crucifixion was intended by design to be a two to three day ordeal. The reason why it was so horrible and so something to be avoided is because you would hang there for days in shame as the pain kept increasing. But Jesus says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. You're not going to have to wait. You're not going to have to wait for other people to forgive you. um, You won't have to measure up to other people's standards. You will be with me in paradise today. The cross means that you can be forgiven today. But pastor, you don't know what I've done. Jesus says you can be forgiven today, now, in this moment. In Jesus, your joy can return today. In Jesus, your peace can return today. In Jesus, your strength, no matter what you've gone through, can return today. He is completely forgiven, and all of a sudden, today is a glorious day for him, even though he's hanging on a cross. Immediately, he receives the promise of an eternal life with Jesus, when once he was facing an eternal life without him. And Jesus does the same thing for you and me. You know, most of us, and there are some some human issues here that are balanced and proper. But even when someone forgives you for something you've done to them, there's usually some time that has to progress or happen or transgress before there can be the establishment or reestablishment of a relationship. And we're human beings, so some of that is very proper. But aren't you glad, no matter what sins you've committed, Today you can be forgiven. Today you can be raised up in his spirit. How is it that Jesus can say to each one of us, without a doubt, you are forgiven, and I am with you always, and one day you will be with me in paradise. And it's always amused me 
how everyone's definition of paradise is different. For many, it's a sandy beach in 70 to 80 degree weather. Maybe with your favorite beverage and there's no wind. For others, it's copious amounts of ice cream where you can eat and eat and never gain any weight and not have it affect your metabolism at all. For others, it's an endless supply of Italian food. Everybody defines paradise differently. There's only one way to define paradise, with Jesus. With Jesus. Doesn't matter how much ice cream is there. Doesn't matter how much Italian food is there. It's got to be with Jesus. And he says that for each of us. Jesus says today that you and I, how can he say this? Well, it's simple, because of the cross. Because of the cross, you can have paradise today. On the cross, your sins were taken away. On the cross, repentance becomes meaningful. On the cross, rebellion can be turned around. On the cross, mocking can be turned around. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can say goodbye to the old person, walk into the new life that Jesus has for each of us. Because of this single moment, the cross, Jesus offers us a clear slate. A clean slate. A life with him. So what did this cross mean for the criminal? At first it was terror as he walked to Calvary. It meant he was cursed. It meant he was getting what he deserved. It meant there are no second chances in life. Then the man next to him changed everything. The cross becomes a place where hope is born again. The cross becomes a place where life begins again. The cross is where we meet Jesus. And it's the only place where we meet Jesus. Well, I'd much rather meet Jesus on that sandy beach you were talking about. No, you need to meet Jesus at the cross. Where he suffered and died for you and because of you. What does the cross mean to you? I gave a whole lot of options at the beginning of the message. Let this moment help us focus on why the cross is so vital. And we're going to talk on Sunday about what happens next. But tonight it's about the cross. And I believe there needs to be a whole lot more conversation and a whole lot more preaching in the church today about the cross. Because it is the cross. We keep saying we want more people saved. The only way for that salvation to happen is by coming face to face with the cross. Let this moment help us focus. It's at the cross that brings meaning to life. It's the cross that brings hope to an otherwise meaningless situation and existence. And it's at the cross that everyone receives forgiveness. And there you go, Pastor, you messed it up. Everyone receives forgiveness? Yeah. Everyone receives forgiveness. Even the people I don't like? Yeah. Even the people you don't like. Now, I know I'm talking to people here who you love everybody. There's nobody in your life that you don't like. 
So let somebody else hear this message. Play it for them. But the cross brings forgiveness for everybody. Everyone. We're going to sing a song in a moment as we come to the Lord's table. And it simply in one part says about what happened at the cross and the wrongs we have done and the wrongs done to us. All of them are nailed to the cross. Now, we like the idea of our sins being nailed to the cross. The sins done against us, we'll get back to you. As you consider your life and wonder, can God really forgive me? I meet so many people who struggle with unforgiveness, and it's not toward other people. It's toward themselves. Look at the cross. That's Jesus' answer. Can I really ever be forgiven? Yeah. And he proved it by dying for you. Can God really forgive me? Remember the cross. Then Jesus calls out to you and assures that you really and truly and forever are forgiven. And that you will be with him on that sandy beach with a plate of ice cream and a plate of lasagna. Or whatever your food of choice is. Notice I didn't say eggplant. (laughs) But lasagna. Because I don't care for eggplant, so that's why I didn't say that. That's not paradise to me. But as long as Jesus is there, that's what matters. Why is it that God hears our prayers? Because of the cross. How can you be so confident that God really loves me? Because of the cross. Why is salvation even possible? Because of the cross. Why can repentance truly turn around even the most bitter and sinful life? Because of the cross. May the cross always remind us. May it always remind you of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice for you, and the salvation and forgiveness. Just recently I was talking with someone who messed up. And I'm glad he came to a group of Christians to share that he messed up. Because so many people don't want to come to a church when they've messed up. Because we give off the impression that we've never messed up. And if we ever give off the impression we've never messed up, we're a church of liars. Because we've messed up. And I said, this is the place you need to be among the other people who've messed up. And you can find forgiveness. Now, I also said you need to find repentance. You need to stop messing up and stop going that way and stop doing what you're doing and avoid those situations. But remember Jesus and his cross and the salvation that is yours. I am forgiven. Church, you are forgiven. When you go to him and say, Jesus, that thing I did last year, do you remember that? No, he doesn't. 
He's washed it away. It's clean. Your slate is clean before him. You before God the Father wear the righteousness of the king of all kings. You bear his righteousness, his purity. That's what God sees when he looks at you, Jesus, because of the cross. Stand with me, please.